Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. G'day everyone, just a quick note before we get underway. If you're interested in going to Canada in 2019 to work in the Canadian hunting industry, we're actually running a second training program as well as our Scottish program. So if you're interested in going to Canada or Scotland this year, 2019, to work in the hunting industry, get in touch with us either via email at ultimateoemail at gmail.com, jump on our website ultimateoe.co.nz or reach out to us on social media and we'll be happy to help. G'day everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Educated Hunter. This week I caught up with Moana Rob. Moana is a keen hunter, she works in the outdoors for the Department of Conservation as well as a ambassador for Stony Creek Clothing. We had an awesome conversation about a number of different things, about her entry into hunting, her experiences in hunting, a few good yarns, etc, etc. It was a really good catch up with my honour and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Cheers. Well thanks for taking the time, I know you're probably keen to get on the road and get back in the bush. Now you've been stuck in a camp with 18, 19, 25 blokes for the last 10 days. Yep, it's definitely been an interesting experience, but it's been good. You prefer the quiet? Yes, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm definitely looking forward to getting into the hills and into my tent by myself. Oh yeah, have you got some work lined up coming up pretty quick? Yeah, I do. Um, Tomorrow afternoon I'm meeting a team of people in Geraldine and then we are driving up to Mesopotamia Station, staying the night there and then flying in. And I think we've got um, four work sites to do, kind of scattered around Upper Rangitara and the Godly. So, oh, nice. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Well, hopefully we get to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But before we get too far ahead, you've obviously been here, you um, just graduated our Ultimate OE hunting course. Um, we don't get a hell of a lot of women through the course, so it's been really nice to have you here. Just from me and Karen's perspective, it's it's a good breath of fresh air. Mellow out the testosterone a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep the boys humble. There's a, little, a few egos and a bit of testosterone flying around. There's nothing like a very capable young woman just to, to flatten that right off. So that's been enjoyable to watch, to be fair. Um, and me and Karen have both enjoyed having you here. So we're all sorted. You've got your... Well, I guess later this year you'll be shipping off to Canada and got an awesome place for you, placement for you there in BC, which you're going to go over there, start wrangling and see where that takes you. Yeah, pretty excited, eh? I'm pretty keen to just jump on a plane right now, but yeah, <laughs> it's going to be trouble, hard waiting till July. Yeah, the way it's set up with firearms and first aid and all that kind of stuff, we sort of have to do it early enough that you get your licenses mm. and stuff before you get there, but yeah. that's the worst thing about it is now the twiddling your thumbs between now and July before you finally get it go on a plane. But yeah, I'm going to spend a lot of time on Google and YouTube, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what did you? What was the most interesting thing for you to learn, you reckon? Um, yeah, I really enjoyed doing the pack horse stuff. Um, but yeah, I think probably one of the most valuable things will be the Canadian firearms license. Right. Um, 
but yeah, in terms of actually experience and having a fun time here, it was definitely the horse stuff. Yeah, the horses are pretty cool. Mm. Next year, I think we're going to just spend more time on horses. Yeah. We're, we're trying to figure out how we can deliver some of the theory stuff. So get rid of the classroom element and do it on the side of a hill. I think is what we're going to try and do next year. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mind the theory stuff too much, but yeah, I think they're, um, I think generally boys' learning style and people who are a bit more practical um, tend to just learn better doing stuff rather yeah. than just reading PowerPoints. Yeah, me and Corinne are the same. Like mm. we're, it's, it's not a natural place for us inside a classroom, so the more we can do out on the hill, you know, stop the horses, do a bit of learning, get back on the horse. Yeah, yeah marinate on that for a little bit I think it'll be really cool yeah definitely not a bad idea so where did Moana start where did you grow up um I grew up in Wellington um so yeah I was born and raised down there um none of my family hunt um but my father is quite a keen fisherman and fly fisherman okay yeah so Grew up there, moved to Raglan when I was about 16, um, spent a bit of time on a farm out there. Um, yeah, but it wasn't till um, I met my ex that I got into hunting in a big way and got a job with Doc. and Went from there? Yeah, pretty much. So like growing up in Wellington, obviously I've spent a couple of years living in Wellington, it's not a I mean, it's plenty of hunters and a lot of sparrows and fishermen and stuff there, but, you know, not coming from a hunting family, did you did you fish with the old man? Um, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, I was kind of too young, really, when he was doing a lot of his fishing, um, when I was kind of old enough to be interested, um, he was pretty flat out working, Um so, yeah, didn't get a heap of opportunity to do that stuff. But we used to go tramping and stuff like that and do a bit of camping and bits and pieces. So there was definitely always a love for the outdoors okay. um, in there. It's always fascinated me, like, people who end up hunter-hunters mm. who don't have a hunting background, how that transition of what that that trigger figure – was it always in the back of your mind that it kind of fascinated you? Was it just out of sight, out of mind, never gave it a second thought? No, it was something that I always wanted to do. I just right. never had someone to teach me. So, yeah, it it was definitely something that I kind of looked for in a partner, I guess, is a means to teach me right. um, and just a quality that I found quite attractive. Like I said, it's always fascinated me because a lot of people that get into hunting have always – and they've always sort of had it in the back of their mind and it's the old nature-nurture thing, right? You know, if you brought up a kid away from hunting in the middle of a big city and they never have that exposure to it, will they find their way into hunting or something similar just by natural fruition or is it purely the opportunities that are given? So it's an interesting perspective. Mm. And then being a woman too, I suspect there's probably a whole lot of barriers to entry that as guys we don't really understand yeah, yep, definitely. Um, I think men or, yeah, most men are a bit less inclined to t want to take the time to teach a woman or partner or daughter or whatever um, how to hunt. And I think that is becoming less of a thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely when I was starting out, um, yeah, 
there wasn't anyone to teach me. Yeah, there are some becoming more frequent good role models for women in hunting, mm. but and you know, and they tend, a lot of people get looked up to as women hunters in the industry. But I think, and I don't know if you agree with me, but there is still a a, a deficiency around of women finding their way into hunting if they don't have a established mentor within their direct family group or friend group. Yeah. Like it's hard to go from, yeah, I'm interested in hunting to, as you said the other day, packing up your ute, driving up into the mountains on your own and going chasing tar. Like that's a big jump. It is. It definitely is. And most of that comes down to confidence. But obviously to gain that confidence, you've got to have exposure to that stuff and you've got to be you've got to have done it a few times and kind of know what you're doing a little bit to be able to yeah have that confidence to just throw everything in the truck and just go by yourself and not be scared or be a little bit apprehensive but do it anyway. Yeah. Do you remember when you first started were there any or do you remember any sort of sort of surprising revelations once you started doing it like probably just the fact that I could do it on my own, yeah. completely on my own. Um, yeah, I think one of the one of the coolest things I ever did um, in terms of personal growth hunting journey would have been about, oh, it must have been a year or so ago now, um, I did like a solo four-day backpack hunting mission um, up off the side of Haas Pass. And yeah, I spent a lot of time bush bashing up and got to the tops and spent like three days looking around for chamois. Didn't see any chamois, saw a few deer and things. And I don't know, it was a bit of a mental journey because it wasn't going so well. There were a lot of times when I was kind of self-doubting my abilities and my skills and thinking what am I doing wrong like do I suck at hunting like what is what's going on and then yeah I was walking out and managed to bump into a chamois and shot it and it ended up being a really good chamois buck and that was quite a revelation moment for me because I'd gone and done this big mission all by myself and I'd been successful and it was a really awesome feeling knowing that I can do that and I can be successful. Listen to you talk about solo hunting and I I don't get to do as much of it as I'd like but I find it in terms of a, a hunting experience there's a whole bunch of elements to it that are unique to perhaps even other hunting, right? So very much self-reliance. There's no, you know, where am I going to put my tent? is that a good place to put my tent? Mm. Because there's not going to be anyone here to tell me that's not a good place to put my tent. And I think when you're in a group or even with some other people, you know, there's a, a sense of confidence there because you're in a group and, you know, if you do something really wrong, you don't realise someone's going to pull you up on it or call you on it or ask yeah. you a question. Whereas on your own, the buck stops with you 100% of the time. Yeah. And I really enjoy hunting on my own, particularly having done done a lot of guiding and a lot of the professional stuff because I'm always having to look after somebody, be conscious of somebody, um, you know, and the hunt a lot of the time is for them and mm. not for me. So I, I spend a lot of time making sure their experience is on point and my needs or my, you know, preferences just get put on the back burner. So when I get to go on my own, I always learn a lot 
you know, and I, I hunt completely differently on my own often than I would with other people or clients because mm. it's Matthew's hunt. Yeah, you yeah. Know, if I don't want to climb up there, I don't have to climb up there. If yeah. I want to sit in this one spot and glass, then I feel no pressure from anyone else thinking, does he know what he's doing? Mm. Is this the right place to be sitting? Yeah. So I learn a lot and I, I generally spend a lot of time when I'm solo hunting just watching animals because mm. for me that's the most beneficial thing is just watching animals do their thing. You learn a lot and that helps you overall as a hunter. So kudos to you for doing that solo stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. You got any more solo stuff planned? Not at this stage. I tend not to plan things in advance too much. I'm not the best at forward planning. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of just like get a break from work and think to myself, how many days have I got? Where am I in the country? And then I kind of just, do? yeah, I just go from there. So. There's a lot of people listening to this right now that are super jealous of that. <laughs> that is a cool place to be. So I, I guess a, a natural question from there is what does Moana do on a day-to-day basis these days? Um, so I work for the Department of Conservation doing biodiversity monitoring. It's a very broad-scale program that's rolled out over the whole country um, out of three bases. This year I'm counting birds is the short answer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so a general overview of the program is that there um, there's two measures. There's the animal measure and then there's the vegetation measure. Okay. So across the whole country there is a um, network of plots, we call them, and they're basically a 20 by 20 metre square set up in the bush or in whatever environment it is. And... Inside the square, all of the vegetation gets measured, so species ID, if it's forest, then you measure diameter of the trunks and heights and and a whole lot of other stuff. And then off the four corners of the square, there are four possum transects, and then at the ends of those transects, there are four bird stations, we do five-minute bird counts, and you set up acoustic recording devices. Parallel to those possum transects, there are ungulate fecal palate count transects, um, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it's basically counting poos, and that's the poos of ungulates, so deer, chamois, tar, pigs, goats, etc., etc. And there's also a bat recorder, so it kind of gives you a really broad view of what's in the area and what sort of state it's in and then each of those areas gets remeasured every five years. So some of these plots have been measured since the Forest Service days back in the 70s. So you've got lots of repeat measures and you start kind of getting an idea of trend over time. So what's happening to the forest or the birds or the pests or whatever. yeah, it's very it's pretty interesting stuff to be honest. How far away from each other are the plots? Um, they're about eight kilometers away. And are they randomly generated? Like is it just like fall on a map? So if you overlay an eight kilometer grid across the whole of the country, at every point where those grid lines intersect, there and it's on conservation land, um, you establish a plot or if there is existing plots like the ones from back in the Forest Service days, they will choose the nearest plot to that location right. is kind of generally how it works. Okay. Yeah. So there's got to be a shitload of them. 
There is, yeah, there are hundreds of them um, and they're spread out over a five-year cycle. So, yeah, every five years the cycle starts again and you re-measuring what you did five years ago, if that makes sense. And earlier on you said you're doing, you're more on the bird side of things? Yeah, yep. So I, when I first, um, because this is my fifth year in the, in the tier one monitoring program. When I first started out, I started out as a mammal measure and we were doing leg hold traps. Um, so I was doing the possum stuff. And then I kind of got into the vegetation side of things a bit. And then now I've moved on to my third role, which is a birder. So counting birds, doing for five minute bird counts. And how yeah. does that work? Like you walk to, do you do it early in the mornings, late at night? Um, yeah, you do it in the morning. So what happens is you arrive at your plot, you either fly in in a helicopter or drive and then walk and you reach your plot. You set out your animal lines, your four possum transects and you establish your bird stations at the end of them. That's kind of the first day and you do your ungulate fecal palate counts. That's kind of the first day. And then the second day um, in the morning... You go back and the birder um, whizzes around the five bird stations because there's one at the end of each transect and then there's also one in the middle of the 20 by 20 square. So yeah, the birder whizzes around the five bird stations and does five minute bird counts as kind of early in the morning as you can really. Okay, and you're just using a pair of binoculars and... Yeah, binos and a stopwatch and just listening. Right. It's mainly listening, yeah. So you have to know um, the bird calls. Right. So yeah. if they first thing in the morning and going hardcore, it must be pretty hard work to figure out who's saying what. Um. Yeah, it can be. I mean, you you don't start super, super early like dawn chorus. Right. You don't start like 5, 6 a.m. kind of thing. But um, yeah, generally like 8 o'clock. And you've got to be finished by one, so. What's the coolest bird Moana's seen? Is there any, like, super rare ones that you've been like, bingo, bingo? Yep, yep, actually. Um, I wouldn't call myself a twitcher, which if anyone's listening and knows much about birders, you'll know what a twitcher is. <laughs> yeah, I certainly do. Yes. Um, yeah, so I don't consider myself a twitcher by any means, but probably the coolest bird experience I've had was a couple of years ago working in the Murchison Mountains over Lake Tiano was flew into an area, set up camp and it started hosing down with rain so we kind of just milled around drinking coffee for an hour or so and waiting for the rain to go away and then while that was happening we could hear Takahe calling all around camp and we could see their poos and things and I had to go back to my tent to grab something and I just saw this like purple flash out of the corner of my eye and I was like oh my god is that what I think it is and so I I grabbed my camera and went stalking through the bush and sure enough uh, there were two wild takahe there when we'd been into the Tiano office before we went into the area we talked to them about working around the takahe and stuff and they'd said if you see any can you please try and take a note of you know what color leg bands they're wearing and if they've got um, GPS backpacks and stuff on. And these guys had neither of those things. So they were born wild, you know. Legitimate. Yeah, wild. yeah, full wild. Had obviously never really been handled at all because they hadn't been banded. So, yeah, that was that was very cool. I'd seen Takahe previously, but to see them wild and in their natural environment was, 
next level. That's yeah. pretty cool. Mm. So when you go on to do these jobs, are you on your own or is there a small team of you? Is there somebody, you know, doing the plant stuff at the same time? Yeah, um, there are teams of us. So the animal team who do the bird stuff and the possum stuff and the ungulate stuff is a two-person team. And the vegetation monitoring team um, can be, yeah, three or four people. And sometimes you're working in just the two-person team and sometimes you're coupled with the vegetation team. Just kind of depends on logistics. Um, It makes a bit more sense sometimes to send a squirrel load with the whole team in if it's a long flight rather than two separate 500 loads of people. Um, so yeah, sometimes it's a two-person team, and sometimes it's like five, six people. Right, and do the trend, like the squares ever land like out in the middle of a glacier or in the middle of a creek or something, and sort of like go stand out in the water and count trees? <laughs> yeah, really definitely. Like <coughs> yeah, we've we've got um, yeah relocation and abandonment type protocols. Right, because um, yeah, obviously working for DOC health and safety is a big thing Um, and sometimes we get to these areas and they are for whatever reason unsafe you know maybe you're working in an area that looks safe but it's very steep and very slippery and you're actually at the top of a cliff kind of thing so if someone slipped off they would you know fall hundreds of meters kind of thing so yeah yep there are protocols for abandoning plots or relocating them right mm. I, I guess is sort of a random question but sort of within your team who are doing um, this kind of monitoring are there many other hunters yes and no it kind of depends on which part of the country you're in in the north island there's a few but it seems like the further south you go the more hunters there are on the teams interesting yeah well that's really cool work is that information that's gathered and obviously it's gathered over a period of time for there to be any you know if you just were to go in and do one transect doesn't actually really mean anything Mm. until you have the context of previous years stacked on top of it is what is that information collectively used for what is there a certain thing it's used for making decisions or what what's it used for yep it gets used for i think it's called the state of the nation report or something it basically goes to informing the minister conservation minister at the time just generally what's going on on conservation land around the country but I think I think the data is also available for local monitoring people to pick and choose bits out of people who are doing projects research projects and stuff can come and pick and choose bits out of it what does it look like you literally jump on a helicopter fly in for a period of time stay in a tent in the bush do your monitoring and fly out is that sort of your Pretty much, yeah, or fly to the next site and do it all again. So, yeah, sometimes it is totally weather dependent. Sometimes if you've got a good weather window, you can be doing four or five plots back to back. So that's, you know, up to 10 days hopping around the mountains, which is pretty cool. I like those long sequences. Yeah, I bet you do. That's some pretty cool stuff. You bet you get to go all the national parks in New Zealand. That's pretty freaking special. Yeah, yeah. Favourite places? Uh, Favourite place, Fiordland. Yeah. Actually, probably Fiordland and Stewart Island would be first equal. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget the first time I went to Stewart Island and sit under a tree and just being accosted by a mob of tuis. Yeah. Like, I just, 
unless you've experienced it down there, like mm. it's probably what all of New Zealand bush used to be, but they are quite a rambunctious um, force to be reckoned with. Once they get up in numbers like that, they were not happy about me sitting where <laughs> I was sitting, and I was getting shit thrown at me and bits yeah. dropped on my head and dive bombed and yelled at and squawked at. It's quite overwhelming. Yeah, it's a very special place. I really like Stewart Island. Um, I've been lucky enough to do a reasonable amount of work down there. And every time I go down there, I'm sitting on the ferry or in the chopper with a massive grin on my face, just stoked to be going down there. Um, And yeah, I've I've been lucky enough to go right down the bottom of the island to um, southern Port Pegasus area, which has its own challenges because you're running possum lions you know and it's pretty coastal and often you're bumping into massive sea lions in the scrub and they kind of <laughs> rear up and you're like whoa okay I'm just gonna <laughs> skirt around that yeah the, it's it's a very cool place yeah I feel like it's almost prehistoric sometimes yeah. right down the bottom there it's a pretty cool spot mm. I have to say I haven't been there for years so I'm looking forward to going back have you ever hunted there no actually I haven't um I've wanted to, but most of the times we've been down there for work, um, the blocks that we've been in have been booked by hunters. So, um, yeah, not not possible. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Well, there's always time for that. Mm, yeah. In your opinion, where do you want or where do you see New Zealand con- conservation going in the future? What direction do you think we're going in? Do you think we're on the right track? Do you think we're on the wrong track? Yeah, well, uh, probably can't say wrong track, but in a, in a perfect world. <laughs> that might be a bit of a conflict of interest. <laughs> yeah. In a perfect world, you know, what um, would you like to see more of? I would like to see more, I don't know, I think I'd like to see hunting and conservation work together a bit more. I mean, it's that's a tough one because... In a nutshell, if you break it right down to the nuts and bolts of things, um, I think hunting and conservation are kind of at odds with each other um, just because our game species aren't native and, yeah, they do, I guess, compete with our native species in certain areas, but... Let's be honest, we're not going to get rid of our game species and I don't think a lot of us want to either. So there needs to be more working together. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that, you know, there's always going to be extremists on both ends and the reality is if you sat down, you know, a person that doesn't hunt that's into conservation and then someone who does hunt and sat them down together, many of our goals you know probably with a 90 percent or even 95 percent are completely aligned like i haven't met a single hunter that doesn't want to see more tuis in the bush Mm. like that's just the fact of the matter so i agree with you i think it's long since overdue if hunters are going to you know stomp their feet and huff and puff about certain elements of the way that we do conservation in this country they also need to be able to put their hands up and say well i'm prepared to put my money with all time and effort where my mouth is to help work towards a common goal because I think there's always 
for anything to get done, there has to be compromise. I don't know. I don't care what you're talking about in this mm. world. And I think that there is going to be, there is available logical compromises that are regional, regionally specific across the country that we could come to an agreement where conservation and hunters can all work together and everybody be happy. Definitely. And I think a, probably a great example of that is the what the Wapiti Foundation are doing with the care conservation um, and also actually the Seeker Foundation um, setting up a whole lot of um, stoke traps and things in the Kaimanawas. Yeah, I think those sorts of projects are awesome. Yeah, and starting to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, the offshoot of that too is if hunters become um, synonymous with, with conservation and the bulk of hunters are putting their hands up to do this kind of work. And a lot of the time what's required is just good old old good old honest hard work and labour mm. to get it done when it comes to trapping stoats and all that kind of thing if hunters become tied to that then our general um, image in the public eye you know the bulk of people in New Zealand and the bulk of people in the world these days don't hunt um, but if hunters get tied to that conservation and sort of logical and even keeled what am I trying to say, <laughs> even keeled movement towards a, a, for the greater good of the environment, um, then I think general public and non-hunters are going to have a longer tolerance for hunting and will be more accepted as a whole. So I think that's all not only positive but very possible in our situation because in New Zealand we have a very unique scenario of mm. hunting meets conservation. That's not really emulated anywhere else in the world on scale there's the odd pocket where it's the same but generally speaking we're the odd one out so we yeah. have an opportunity I think definitely and I think hunters have a lot to contribute to conservation as well I mean we love being outdoors we love the bush we you know I don't know any hunter that doesn't love the environment that they hunt in for whatever reason so there's a lot of knowledge there as well in terms of um how to navigate topography and terrain and stuff like that and I think that stuff could be very valuable to conservation efforts around the country. I agree. What drew you to the pig hunting side of things? <laughs> um, well that was actually my introduction to hunting. That right. was the first method of hunting that I got into. Yeah, when I got together with my ex, he had a couple of pig dogs and that was... That was how I cut my teeth, to be fair. Yeah, and from there, then it kind of evolved into deer and then chamois and tar. So. You think you'll keep up with the pig hunting stuff? Definitely, yep. I love working with dogs. Before I started working for Doc, I was a vet nurse, so... Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I did four years of vet nursing, which is really handy when the dogs get ripped up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, here comes mum again with her bag. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one of the dogs sees me coming with a stapler, eh, and she's not happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so I've always um, loved animals, and I really enjoy working with animals and working with dogs. And hunting with dogs is a whole different kettle of fish. It's not, it's not just like a pet dog that you have at home and you love it and you pat it. It's you're out there and you're working together as a team and. You know, there are times when shit really hits the fan. If you are confronted with a boar and it's trying to rush you and your dog's rushing and, you know, spin it around and 
take the heat for you. That stuff really builds bonds. And yeah, it just makes you love your dogs even more. And I think I always want pig dogs in my life. Good for you. Difference between women pig hunters and men pig hunters? I don't know if there really is a difference. Yeah. Um, I think it's that all comes down to individuals. I think probably, if anything, women pig hunters would work differently with their dogs to men pig hunters just because they tend to be a bit bit softer and a bit gentler. Um, so probably working better with timid dogs and, you know, dogs that just lack a bit of confidence. Generally a softer hand is just a bit better for them. But aside from that, we can do anything. So Why the hell do you want to go to Canada? Why the hell did you turn up here, go through our course, sign up for what you've got in store for you in July? What what was the motivation there? Um, it's something I've wanted to do for a number of years actually. Um, I've had some friends who've gone over and done it and told me stories about trailing in for days and seen photos and it's something that's pushed my buttons for a while so I guess it's something I've been working towards over the last couple of years like improving my outdoor skills and my confidence and my hunting ability to get to the point where I feel confident enough to go over by myself and tackle that and you know get the most out of it pretty much that's it. You're gonna have an awesome time. (laughs) Yeah I'm really excited. Like I tell everybody that turns up at this course and everybody who does it, it's a it's a real opportunity to level up as a New Zealand hunter. I don't care how experienced you, you are or think you are or whatever the case might be. Just the pure level of difference over there of how they manage their game animals, you know, how they operate their hunts. You know, that's true wilderness horseback hunting and it's about as pure as you can get. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here green with jealousy because I know the feeling when you get out on a horse and you're heading down a trail first thing in the morning heading off hunting with a team of horses there's nothing quite like it it's Mm. very basic clean there's nothing else there's nothing to worry about like you're worried about which way the wind's going when you wake up is it raining you know where we're going to go hunting today and then you just go out and hunt and the stuff that you get to see out there is mind-blowing yeah Definitely. I'm really looking forward to seeing a different part of the world and seeing a whole lot of different animals too. I think it's going to be a bit of a buzz waking up in the morning in a cabin or a tent somewhere and lying there in that moment of darkness and being like, what the hell is that bird? I know that's such a weird bird thing to say, but like, you know, just unfamiliar sounds, unfamiliar places, unfamiliar animals. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to the whole experience really, not just the hunting, but yeah, everything. The horses, the travel, the new places and sights and sounds and people, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be awesome for you. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you after it's all done and dusted. I can't Mm. wait to hear your perspective and your experience for you, Moana, going in and doing it. I can't wait too. When's my flight leaving? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a couple couple of weeks away, unfortunately, (laughs) but it's a, you know, is what me and Curran talked about the other day. We spend, you know, a big percentage of a year finding the best and most rewarding and exciting jobs in the world, and then we give them all away. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. That must be frustrating, but probably also really rewarding for you guys too when you get to 
put us in positions where we're going out and having a wicked time and, and coming and giving you guys feedback and yeah. you know I mean the growth you see in, in everybody that does the courses is worth it alone I mean even the growth over for some of these guys over the last 10 days have sort of worked through the the process of mentally preparing them for what they're going to get themselves what they've got themselves in for over in Canada and then teaching them some of the fundamentals of what they need to know before mm. they hit the ground is you know watching that sort of mental shift and becoming more aware and self-aware of um, where they're heading and what they're doing is you know really enjoying too like I love teaching my partner will be the first one to tell you that I love giving a good lecture and in this setting everybody has to listen to me so it's great but (laughs) (laughs) you've got a sweet little soapbox (laughs) yeah yeah. I sit on my soapbox and I preach away but I, I like to think and correct me if I'm wrong but I like to think that you know, this brand of what we're doing is developing a pretty cool little fraternity of, without being too cliche, educated hunters that we're sending to Canada and then getting them back, having leveled up two or three slots um, back here in New Zealand can only be good overall for the country and, and what, we, what we're passionate about. Definitely, definitely. I think, yeah, educating people as to what's going on around the rest of the world and then bringing those perspectives and ideas back to New Zealand could never be a bad thing. No. Okay. Change tack slightly. Like in my career, so let's say the last sort of 10, 12 years of being in the hunting industry, when I first started, any woman that decided that they were going to hunt, what they had to do was go and find super small men's versions of clothing and just deal with the fact that they were uncomfortable and didn't really fit very well. I've seen the industry start to change and you have some affiliation with Stony Creek. Do you want to sort of run us through what you do for them? Um, So I'm just on the women's test team and that in itself is a massive step forward for women hunters in New Zealand. Um, Having a, a really reputable clothing brand who have actually taken the time out to give enough of a shit about woman hunters in New Zealand to make a whole woman's range is awesome like not just one or two bits and pieces or you know one jacket that's not even waterproof or like one pair of pants or something they've actually got a pink hoodie with brand don't even get me started about pink on women's clothing (laughs) definite pet peeve of mine um but no they actually yeah they give enough of a shit to make a whole woman's range and yeah, that's awesome. That's that's a massive step forward for women hunters. We've finally got gear that's good enough to enable us to get out there on our own, do some pretty hard out missions if we choose to, and be warm, comfortable, you know, yeah. That's really cool. Favourite yeah. bit of Stony Creek kit at the moment? Um, oh, that's a tough one. Probably the puffer at this stage. Um, but yeah, I've really enjoyed having the woman's frost line jacket and the Lansborough pants. Probably, yeah. And you wear them on your day to day? Not on my work day to day because I love them too much to destroy them. Um, (laughs) I, I keep that stuff for my personal hunting missions, but yeah, I just, it's really comfortable. It's stretchy. It's actually designed to fit women, actually designed by a woman too, who, I've met and she's bloody awesome. Yeah, it's 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 been a wicked project and I'm pretty stoked to be involved with that on a testing level because I am hopeful that it's a way that I can contribute to 
women hunters in New Zealand by providing testing that gear and providing feedback and yeah feedback on designs fabrics whatever just if something's not working then I can do something about it to make it better and hopefully benefit other women what caliber do you use my first rifle which I still love is a 243 um, little Remington model 7 243 but my most recent purchase was a Kimber Montana in 6.5 Creedmoor and I know a lot of you people out there are going to be going, Creedmoor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, ideally, I wanted a 6.5 by 55, but Kimber don't make them. Right. So I had to go with Creedmoor. But actually, it's been really good so far. Very accurate. Yep. Packs enough punch. Good, good little you. round. Yeah. All right. Here's a question for you. Favorite failure. Do you have one? Oh, that's a tough one to be put on the spot for. Probably, actually, the most recent one that's popping to mind would be a failure in firearms maintenance and cleaning, um, which is something that people should never neglect. And it's not like a dangerous story at all, um, but me and the dogs were out pig hunting and they went and found me a nice stroppy tusky boar and I went down to the bale up and this pig was chasing the dogs around and he was pretty pissed off and I had the bale gun um, because I was by myself this hunt and um, I took the gun off and couldn't cock the hammer because it was all rusted and seized shut from just being hunted too much in the wet and not looked after so there I was kind of half up a tree because this pig had tried to rush me and the dogs had come to my aid and I was half up a tree trying to smack the hammer against the against the tree to cock it and it just wouldn't work so I was standing there freaking out because the dogs were any minute now I was sure they were going to get a hiding and get ripped up and it was going to be all my fault because I hadn't looked after the gun and so it wouldn't work. And then anyway, this boar slipped up and so the dogs managed to grab it and then I just jumped in and stuck it. But in that moment, when I was up that tree, yeah, scared for my dogs was a massive fail and it was a massive realisation to me that, you know, you can't you can't do that. You've got to... Look after the things. You really control. do. Yeah, you've got to look after the tools of the trade um, because if you don't, then things can go very wrong and I was lucky that nothing did go wrong that time but if it did it would have been on me it would have been my fault and I would have worn that and felt really guilty that's a really good little story here's a question what's the worst advice that you hear people give women hunters trying to get into the pastime lifestyle I think the worst advice that anyone could give a woman would be anything that's going to knock her confidence in any way yeah, I think the best thing, the best advice you could give a woman is just go and do it, really. Go and, if it's something you want to do, then just go and do it. Find someone to teach you. Go and do a NZDA hunts course or whatever. Just find someone that's going to teach you and just go and get into it. Yeah. It'll change your life and it'll change you as a person for the better. You'll be more confident, you know, you'll be more self-reliant, you will just generally be a much more enriched person. So just bloody do it. You got anything that you would like to 
impart on the world? Any advice or? Not really. I think you've covered a lot, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, there's be a lot of people out there listening, thinking, "A, she's got a kick-ass job. B, you know, there's, you know, I've had conversations with." You know, women who hunt a lot just because of the position that I'm in and the fact that I travel a lot and meet a lot of different people. But um, I, I really hope and am hopeful that there will be more and more women involved in hunting because you guys bring, you know, all it does is strengthen us as a group. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can, I've seen a bit of a shift in the last few years since I've been into it. There seems to be more women coming through and that's it's a really positive thing and it's something that you know I'd love to see more of I'd love to I'd love to see more young women coming through into the hunting scene in whatever way like whether they're taught from young age or whether they're like me and they're a bit of a latecomer to the scene and kind of self-taught then you know it doesn't matter just yeah the more the merrier really how do we do that how do we get more involved you reckon I think, yeah, that kind of, there needs to be more mentor programs, I think, um, and more opportunity for women to learn from women. I know that as a woman learning to hunt, aside from learning from my ex, I wasn't comfortable going and hunting with other dudes. It wasn't a pride thing, it was more just... I don't know. We don't really speak the same language at times. Yeah, and I think men and women sometimes can have very different hunting styles. And when you're learning, yeah, when you're learning, you kind of need to find someone that's got a similar hunting style to you or a similar kind of personality type to you so that you can communicate properly and, you know, you can be imparting the right kind of wisdom or the right tips and tricks and... You know, because not everyone likes seeing an animal and going and just rushing straight in and, you know, taking shots on the run and that sort of thing. Like some people are much more spot and stalk and, you know, much more kind of, I guess, methodical hunters. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think if you can find someone that's a similar hunting style or similar personality type to you, then it's going to be a much more pleasant experience. Hmm. Big picture, yeah, what are your sort of long-term plans? Are you, what's your sort of long-term <laughs> goal? Do you have any or are you just going with the flow? Uh, I do definitely have some long-term goals. Um, I think they're a little bit green to probably go them out broadcasting Fair enough. Um, just yet, but yeah. Do you have a bit of a following on social media and stuff? Um, A little bit. I wouldn't say it's big, but. What's your audience made up of? Are they young women or? Oh, it's a bit of a mixture, really. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a mixture of kind of naturey conservation people and hunters, men and women. Yeah, a bit of a mixed bag, really. But cool. as much as I like social media, um, it's not something that I love. Um, I am under no illusions about trying to be insta famous or anything like that. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, fame is not something I'm chasing at all. Um, yeah, I don't want to be the next big name in hunting. I just kind of want to be working quietly behind the scenes, facilitating growth. Good for you. Yeah. 
It's a good goal and it's the right place to come from, I think. Mm. Unless you've got any other really kick-ass stories that you're just desperate to tell. No? Not really, no. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll, we'll call it a day. How can those listening um, connect with you? What's your Instagram or Facebook? Um, Instagram, I am at shehuntsnz. Um, okay. Feel free to drop me a follow or a DM if you've got any questions about getting into hunting or clothing or gear or basically anything. Um, yeah, I'm pretty pretty open to communication, um, especially you women out there who are thinking about getting into hunting. Yeah, feel free to message me anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you, Moana. It's been a pleasure, A, having you here for the last 10 days, and B, this little chat. I think um, you'll find that people respond really well to it. Cool. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a great 10 days and a great yarn. Awesome. Cheers, <laughs> G'day. Thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Curran Island, at The Educated Hunter. And the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.